Hello, and welcome to Cavancast. I made boiled eggs today, and they were nice. They were very nice. I've got it down to a fine art now, I think. Got that timing down. Sweet, if you know what I mean. This, um, this might be controversial, but hear me out. Eggs in cold water start timing 1 minute and 50 seconds <laughs> when the water starts boiling. From when the water starts boiling, gives you 10 seconds leeway time, takes you up to 2 minutes. Drain the water nonchalantly, give it a little crack with a teaspoon so the eggs stop cooking. Make sure it's nonchalantly and not chalantly. And by the time you open those bad boys up, perfectly runny, baby. Ooh. Hope your day's been all right. Either way, let's do nothing for a bit. Hit pause, hang out. I've made boiled eggs, so I've got a decent amount of serotonin built up, so I am ready. If you haven't hung out here before, I use a random word generator to generate five random words and then just chat about them. Seems to be working so far, which is nice. I have fun. Hopefully you do too. It's chill. It's a good time. So let's go. The first word is disco. Burn, baby, burn. Disco inferno. I um, I would have loved it if that car driving past was playing a disco tune. That would have been fantastic. That would have been better than the fly. No, it wouldn't have been better than the fly. Nothing's better than the fly. I feel like I need to explain the fly every time I talk about the fly. In episode one, there was a fly that popped up and acted as my co-host. He stole the show. It was a whole thing. Go listen if you haven't. I hope he comes back one day. Or his brother, or his kids, or his great-great-great-granddaughter. He's pretty fine. I, I figure flies don't live that long, so that's probably how how much of a generational lineage there is now. Anyway, this go. I, uh, I love looking back on errors that I wasn't around for and romanticizing them. I'm terrible for it. And I am totally aware it was probably mostly a lie. But I love to do it anyway. Willingly subject myself to the illusion is not harming anybody, so why not? And one of those errors is disco, because it looks so goddamn fun. I didn't, I don't really know, I didn't really know about disco in the 70s, because when I was a kid, all I thought the 70s were was punk, because that's what I was shown and that's why I was taught. Makes sense to why I am the way I am. But um, but I think I watched Saturday Night Fever once, and I totally felt the vibe, bro. And what fantastic songs Disco had. 
Songs like Staying Alive, I Will Survive. It's like a really monotone, like, advertisement for a compilation CD. Should be more like, all your favorite disco songs, such as Staying Alive, I Will Survive, Burn Baby Burn, Disco Inferno. Doing that voice always reminds me of Shrek when Lord Farquaad, the short king that he is, uh, is being shown his eligible bachelorettes by the mirror. And he's like, what's the quote? Come on, Shrek's in my head and I'm, I'm, I'm just going, I'm fast forwarding in my mind to that scene. Oh yeah. She's a loaded pistol who likes pina coladas and getting caught in the rain. And now that's in my head. Hey, like pina colada and getting caught in the rain. Um, I always thought, because I was like nine when I watched it for the first time, that that song was written inspired by Shrek rather than the other way around, not realizing that the song was in the film. Because I was an idiot, I guess. Maybe it was because I was like 10, but I, uh, probably because I was an idiot. I want to talk about school discos because wasn't that a great time. Uh, but let's, um, let's grab a quick history of disco, shall we? Disco music would never reach the height of its popularity without the presence of the large dancing movement that popularized this music genre all around the world. It was originally formed in the late 1960s as a reaction to the popularity of rock music and the stigmatization of alternative music styles which were preferred by the youth. By incorporating the elements of funk, soul, pop, and salsa, dance music and dances quickly rose in popularity in North America, reaching the height of power mid-1970s to early 1980s. Yeah, so same time as punk. When disco dances in discotheques represented some of the most sought-off forms of entertainment by young men and women from many different backgrounds. Fueled by the musical hits of disco performers such as Donna Summer, Boney M, The Bee Gees, The Tramps, Sylvester, Chic, and Gloria Gaynor, and the sudden rise of popularity of several disco-themed Hollywood films, most notably Saturday Night Fever. See, these are all the things I said. Why do we need Wikipedia from 1977 and Thank God It's Friday from 1978? Disco dance evolved into a popular dancing form that is still practiced today. It's easily recognizable sound with components such as an eighth and sixteenth note, four on the floor beat, hi-hat pattern and syncopated electric bass line managed to capture the imagination of many musical artists providing inspiration for new popular disco songs many decades after the height of their popularity. These new music hits and associated subgenres, Euro disco, space disco, new disco, and fusion genres, dance punk and disco house, these brackets are great, enabled disco dance to survive and be practiced even today. 
School discos, though, another kettle of fish, which is probably what I looked like dancing at school discos, a fish out of water. Actually, no, I could smash out a Macarena and Mambo Number no. 5 like nobody's business. I actually do a very good uh, school disco slash wedding DJ impersonation, which I won't make you shuffle with. Unless... No, I'm definitely not going to... Um, I'm definitely not going to do it. If you want to hear it, you can tweet me. I'm definitely going to see how many moves I remember after this. I reckon I could still bust him out. Anyway, before I get too tempted, the next word is terminal, which is one of the most slept on Tom Hanks films ever made, The Terminal. Every time I watch it, I cry. It's beautiful. He's beautiful. Go watch it. If you haven't seen it, it's about a dude who's trying to go to America, um, but due to some crazy red tape technicality, he isn't allowed to leave the airport terminal he's in. Um, and he's from this like Eastern European company, company, uh, country, and um, he knows like no English and it's heartbreaking. Also, Stanley Tucci is in it, so that's all you need. I really, um, I really do like airports. Despite the fact I get, um, major travel anxiety when I have to fly anywhere. Once I get to the airport, I kind of enjoy myself. Like, um, I enjoy, I enjoy especially arriving really early in the morning for a flight. There's a, um, there's a certain energy in an airport. It's like a really sleepy busyness. You can almost feel the desire of people to feel awake, but they just don't. <laughs> Ironically, I guess you can feel the autopilot in the air. I'm proud of that one. Good for me. You can see the business people in suits and shoes that would rather be in trackies and slippers and you can see the families that are masters of organized chaos kids running and mothers turning into mrs incredible to keep everyone together and then there's the elderly couple who might be going to visit their kids or grandkids perhaps for the first time or maybe they want a holiday the first holiday they've been on in years Feels like regardless of the time of day, there's always this undercurrent of anticipation and excitement. But my favorite thing by far is whenever I've had to pick someone up from the airport, waiting in the arrival lounge, usually for at least like half an hour because I can't bear the thought of whoever I'm picking up from the airport not having anyone to meet them there, which is really soppy. So call me sentimental if you wish. I will accept the moniker gladly. Um, but in that time I have to kill, I spend it watching the most beautiful reunions 
of lovers and families running into each other's arms and embracing each other as tightly as they humanly can to the point that I begin to worry ever so slightly that one of them's going to pop. I've seen some really tight hugs, I'm not going to lie. And then there's the uh, there's the like the awkward look of the uh, the aforementioned businessmen in suits uh, searching for their name on a whiteboard written on by their driver. Some of them have got really interesting handwriting, man. I've seen some serious calligraphy going on. <laughs> and some serious uncalligraphy as well. I know that's not a word, but I'm making it, and you know what I mean. But um, nearly every single person has something in common when they walk through those barriers, and they step into the terminal. And that is a massive exhale that they've arrived Home or away, it doesn't matter. They have arrived. I really like terminals. I also really like the next word, which is sofa. Oh, we love a comfy word. Sofa is a another one of those weird ones that has a load of different names. Like sofa, couch... Seti, uh, okay, maybe that's it, but like, and I spoke about this in the latest bonus episode, available on my Patreon at every tier, one bonus episode a week, you should check it out, there's like five or six whole episodes over there, just waiting for you, patreon.com forward slash Kevin Kingston, come say hello, I'll drop you a message. So one of the words over there was lounge, right? But a lounge is also called a living room, a sitting room, front room, all of them. Um, and I've just thought of another one. Every person's house I've been to seems to have a different name for the remote, for the TV. So I, like a normal person, call it a remote probably one of the only normal things about me. I live in a van co-hosting podcasts with flies and owls. But I had friends that called it the control, which, okay, fair. Uh, the thingy. They called it the thingy. Um, the box, the buttons, the doofa. The doofa. What do you call it? Message me on Twitter and let me know at Kevin Kingston because I reckon there's some real crazy ones. I don't even, I, I don't feel like I've even scratched the surface. Doofa is pretty weird, but I want to hear some. I know you've got a good one. I've always wanted an L sofa as well. That's a bucket list thing. Don't think I'll be able to fit it in the van though. One day. I'm not massively materialistic, but, uh, no, I want an L sofa with a fridge in it. That's like my one thing. There doesn't even have to be anything else in the room. Just the sofa with like a nice cold can of pop. That's another one. Pop. Soda. Can. Carbonated beverage. 
fizzy juice, whatever you like, whatever you like. I remember having cream soda for the first time and I freaked out because it tasted like ice cream. Dude, okay, I've just remembered something. When I was hella young, like really young, there was this shop in my hometown and... I remember seeing in there, there was this can of drink and it was called, no, it wasn't a can, it was a bottle and it was called something like anti-gravity, anti-gravity and something like that. It wasn't that, but it was something like that. And I was convinced that this was the Willy Wonka drink that would make you float. You know, like in the original movie where they were like, and they would like eat the bubbles and they would, or drink the bubbles, whatever they did. And um, they would, they would go up that I was convinced that they had this, this, this drink had become wholesale and I never bought it. I never got any of it. And then it was just like, gone and i was convinced there was a conspiracy theory oh that was it it wasn't that they'd released it it was that it got leaked no pun intended and um and like the oompa loompas came and took it off the shelves (laughs) because then not too long later that shop closed down and if you have ever seen charlie and the chocolate factory or like either of the films you know Willy Wonka is not to be effed about with. You do not want to mess with Millie Wonka. You do not want to mess with Willy Wonka. So, I was a smart kid. I knew what was going on. Just a little ute, but already a conspiracy theorist. The birds are spies. The birds work for the bourgeoisie. Talk to me about sofas, Google. Oh, here we go. We have stuff about the differences of the names. Sofa.com tells us, back in the 1950s, the author Nancy Mitford wrote a guide to words that were suitable for the aspiring upper class and words that were used by the aspiring middle class. According to Mitford, the upper class tended to use simpler terms similar to the working classes whilst the aspiring middle class would opt for the more pretentious language. In terms of sofa, Mitford suggested that sofa was the correct term whilst couch and settee were the more pompous terms used by the aspiring middle class. So that is properly fronting. What is a sofa? A sofa is defined as an upholstered bench or seat featuring arms and a back, allowing people to sit comfortably. This is the most common word used nowadays to describe the comfy piece of furniture we all relax on in the living room, or the front room, or sitting room. There's so many words. What is a couch? The couch originated in French interior design in the 17th century and consisted of a lounge seat. What is it with all these words popping up that I've used already? Consisted of a lounge seat with supports at both ends, but with no back support, unlike a sofa as we know it today. Instead, a couch was very similar to a traditional daybed or chaise lounge. I've never said chaise lounge normally. I have to say it like chaise lounge. 
Chase Lounge. And what's up? My name's Chase Lounge. Uh, I'm 18. Just want to play pro football, to be honest. Uh, that's all, bro. Uh, go football. Uh, the name likely came from the French word coucher. 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 Meaning to sleep. Uh, the word couch is still widely used across the USA to describe a sofa. What is a settee? The settee originated in the Middle Ages. That's old school. And whilst it had a design more similar to the sofa as we know it, was typically made from wood and typically featuring an elegant and intricately carved back. That's what I want to do on um, one of the walls of this van. Not carve it necessarily, but I want to get one of those... Um, it's not a soldering iron. What is it? It's it's like the thing that you you can like burn patterns into wood. What's that called? I can't be bothered to look it up. You know what it is. You know what I'm talking about, right? What is a love seat? Whilst we use the term love seat today to describe a cross between an armchair and a sofa, a seat that would accommodate two people at a stretch or one person with plenty of room. Whilst we use the term love seat today to describe a cross between an armchair and a sofa, a seat that would accommodate two people at a stretch or one person with plenty of room, the term love seat was originally used to describe a seat that comfortably sat two people, yeah it did, whilst the name suggests an element of matchmaking. The love seat was originally designed for ladies to be able to sit comfortably whilst wearing wide dresses. That's that bunda seat, isn't it? The love seat. Hey, yo, girl, come sit on the love seat. Oh, thank you. I'm going to leave now. Ah, I respect your decision. According to the Oxford English Dictionary, the word sofa originates in the Eastern Mediterranean with the Arabic sofa, which is a part of the floor raised a foot or two, covered with rich carpets and cushions and used for sitting upon. In 1625, Samuel Purchase was the first person to write about a sofa, which he noted during his travels to Arabia, calling it a sofa. Nice one, Sammy boy. Whilst in 1637, Sir George Courthop, 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 described a sofa, spelt S-O-P-H-A, as a place raised about a foot to sit on. It's the same thing. He just saw the other one that Sammy boy wrote and was like, I'm just going to change the spelling of it. In the 17th century, the sofa as we know it came to England from France and became a popular piece of furniture in homes of the wealthy and by the 19th century the spelling had been settled on. It was officially a sofa. S-O-F-A. <laughs> well, I learned something today. I'm just going to call it a love seat from now on just to see the looks on people's faces is not a sofa or a couch to me anymore hey man do you mind if i sit on your love seat what yeah your love seat you mean the sofa if you want to call it that yeah it's i call it a love seat but why because i can it's 2021 all right i want to call it a love seat
I can call her Lovesy if I want to. How to lose friends and alienate people 101. Word number four is... Ugh. Cereal. Cereal, man. God, I love cereal. I think it's one of my favourite things in this world. Genuinely. Genuinely. Taste. Variety. Nostalgia. Convenience. There's literally nothing bad about it. Okay, maybe most of it is very unhealthy, but apart from the mental sugar content, nothing wrong with it. One of my favourite memories of cereal is those variety packs you used to be able to get, and I think this was the beginning of my chaotic ways, because every time I came into contact with one of those variety packs, I would mix like four of them together and make one massive bowl of like frosted rice cocoa wheat pops <laughs> that's basically how a seven-year-old goes punk isn't it that's that's the beginning uh that's how it starts oh they're mixing cereals oh no get them on the ritalin now no it's great i i i think um i think it's like i think it's good to uh think outside the proverbial cereal box and defy the rules put on you by the system it's symbolic it's symbolic of a rebellion against societal ideas of how cereal should be eaten rage against the Kellogg's machine are you with me if you are I'm worried I would not be with me at all what a cause just mix your cereal and watch cartoons oh man I love the cereal and cartoons combo it wasn't actually that long ago that I had a resurgence of cereal and cartoons, you know. I was like 21 when it happened again. And I had a great time with Honey Nut Cheerios and Gumball on a Saturday morning when I wasn't working. I'm learning, right, that if done in moderation, a lot of these simple pleasures of childhood don't really have to go away. Maybe I'll go and buy a rubber duck or some crayons. I went to America for the first time when I was a teenager and um, tried American cereal for the first time. Definitely think I've spoken about this before, but um, Lucky Charms, solid. Cap'n Crunch, even better. Even though it's um, basically the equivalent of Golden Nuggets in the UK, I still think it's a little bit better. But uh, Fruit Loops, mm, no. Not sold. Sorry. I know people proper fancy them, and I don't know why. They're just like, yeah. But um, when I was there, I got so hyped over US junk food that I bought a whole other suitcase just to fill it with candy and horrifically unhealthy, tasty, beautiful food. Like we're talking Twinkies. We're talking Cheetos, we're talking Lucky Charms, all the different varieties of Oreos. Americans have so many different flavors of Oreos, it's crazy and I love it. What else? Hershey's, Pop-Tarts, Nerds, Mike and Ike's, and just like two crates each of Mountain Dew and Gatorade. Oh my God, I drank so much Mountain Dew. Always kind of worried me that Twinkies didn't have 
an expiration date. I'm not. I'm lying. It didn't concern me at all. I st- <laughs> there was no concern. There was slight amusement. There was no concern at all. Um, where did cereal come from? Like, what's the history of cereal? It's going to be like porridge or something. Just, just oats. Uh. Cereal grains, namely porridge and especially oatmeal, became an important breakfast component in North America. Barley was a common grain used, though other grains and yellow peas could be used. Yellow peas? What's that, like BB bullets? Yellow peas. In many modern cultures, uh, porridge is still eaten as a breakfast dish. North American natives had found a way to make ground corn palatable, later called grits, from the Old English word reot, meaning gravel. Hey kids, what do you want for breakfast? We want frosties. (laughs) Ha ha, you've got gravel. While this became a staple in the southern US, grits never gained a hold on the northern states. I can't imagine why. Food reformers in the 19th century called for cutting back on excessive meat consumption at breakfast. They explored numerous vegetarian alternatives. Late in the century, the Seventh-day Adventists, sounds like a good band name, based in Michigan, made these food reforms part of their religion, and indeed non-meat breakfasts were featured in their sanitariums and led to new breakfast cereals. So where did it... Oh, okay, wait, hang on, wait. Sorry, reading. You do you for a second. I'm researching. The first cold breakfast cereal, granula, not the same as granola, thank you for the distinction, Wikipedia, was invented in the United States in 1863 by James Caleb Jackson, operator of Our Home on the Hillside, which was later replaced by the Jackson Sanatorium in Dansville, New York. The cereal never became popular, due to the inconvenient necessity of tenderizing the heavy bran and graham nuggets by soaking them overnight. Bro, you can't be soaking your nugs. Why are you soaking your nugs? You damn fool. You nasty soaking your nugs. No wonder it didn't catch on. But interesting. See, this is where like all the failed ideas come from. You know, you've got to have a load of people fail and then someone gets it right. Porridge is good, though. I like porridge with a bit of sugar and jam. Ready Breck is the one. Oh, man. Love cereal. Anyway, so final word today is theme. Always wanted my own theme music. My own tune, I could just turn off and on whenever I needed to. Maybe not even me, actually. Like, whenever I do something that's quintessentially me, it just plays. That would be good. That would be good. Because if we all had that, then we'd know when we were doing something authentic to us, right? Because our theme tune would play. Because we were being us. Is that too much of a reach? I don't know. Maybe. 
Do you know what I mean? I kind of, I like it. I like that idea. I don't know what my theme tune would be, though. I'd like to think it would be something like main character-esque, like... But it would probably be something way more like... Something like that. Uh, <laughs> that tickled me. That would definitely be my theme tune. <sighs> okay, what are some amazing theme songs? Uh, okay, like five good ones, five amazing ones. Hedwig's theme from Harry Potter, obviously. Um, Concerning Hobbits from Lord of the Rings. Um, that one from How to Train Your Dragon is banging. Listen to that recently. Um, the theme from Seinfeld. <laughs> that like mentally good slap bass tune. Um, and oh, I don't know. There's so many. Fairly Odd Parents theme from Fairly Odd Parents. All right, I need to talk about this. What do you say? Do you say Fairly Odd Parents or Fairly Odd Parents? It was a cartoon, by the way, if you haven't watched it. Because I say Fairly Odd Parents. Like the emphasis is on the parents, but loads of people say Fairly Odd Parents. Obtuse, rubber goose, green moose, guava juice, giant snake, birthday cake, large fries, chocolate shake. Why do I feel like I've already done that in a podcast? I'm going crazy. I talk too much. I talk too much. I'll talk a little bit more and then we'll, well, I'll, I'll leave. <laughs> I'll leave. I'll leave. I'll let you get back to it. Um, I. What makes a good theme song? It's got to be the emotion, right? It's got to be the emotion that makes you feel how that, like, pertains to the character, which is kind of obvious, I know, but that can be, like, the most subtle thing in the world, or the most obvious, like, Jaws, right? The entire theme song is just, oh, crab, oh, crab. Crab, 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 crab. You know, I'm manifesting getting John Williams to come and just chat about themes just so I can go crab, 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 crab to John Williams. It's a bad manifestation. But it wouldn't be done yet. I think my voice would probably shift up three octaves if I met John Williams just due to like fangirling. But my favorite themes really are video game themes. There's something even more magical about them, I swear. Like, it's otherworldly. It really is. Or, like, other dimension-y. I don't know. I've never been able to quite put my finger on it, but um, there's a few things like that in this world that have the energy of something, like, transcendental. I don't know. Maybe I'll figure it out one day. Maybe I won't. Maybe I'm not supposed to. Maybe no one is. Anyway, I'm going to go. I'm going to go get some Cocoa Bobs. Uh, let me know if you want some. Okay? Cool. I'll speak to you soon. Come over to Patreon if you want to hang out before next week. Cool. Speak to you in a bit. Bye.